hello everybody and uh, welcome to this edition of the cloud council the cloud council is a uh, program that we have where we bring in uh, esteemed guests for a quick conversation on topics that are relevant today in the customer success area uh, in the cloud area especially during these uh, unprecedented times with COVID. so we'll have a great conversation i'm sure today because we have a great uh, guest with us and that's Wayne McCullough. Uh, I hope I pronounced your name correctly, Wayne. Uh, I've heard many variations. That's pretty good. Okay. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> All right, great. And uh, Wayne is the Chief Customer Success Officer at WalkMe. And uh, Wayne, uh, if uh, you could take a couple of moments and uh, for the benefit of our audience, just describe a little bit about your background, uh, how you started in customer success, et cetera, and uh, where you're journey has brought you to today. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, well, first of all, thanks for having me uh, on the program. I, I can't wait to, to see it uh, played back in, in real time. But the reality is my life has been split into two from a career perspective. The first part was really around education, enablement, adoption of software companies back in the 90s. And that started with a little company called PeopleSoft at the time, which got really big, really fast, and then um, got acquired by Oracle. But um, I spent a lot of my career on the on trying to help customers get real value from their software through the education training certification sort of programs and user adoption initiatives. And then it wasn't until I got to Salesforce that my eyes were sort of opened up to a much broader sort of ability to influence success and adoption of technology. And that was through customer success, um, services support and um, Maria Martinez, my boss at the time, she she's sort of headed all of that up, essentially the chief customer officer. And, and the way that she could actually start to bring together different functions and teams around the customer journey to ensure success, I'm like, oh, I want to do that. That that seems like a much more fun job. Not that I didn't enjoy my job, but this was more fun. And so I pivoted and uh, that's how I ended up in um, as a chief customer officer, uh, my third time now, um, and at now being at WalkMe. So. Yeah. yeah, no, Maria is a great leader and uh, you know, one of the pioneers in the area is the Salesforce. Uh, you know, we like to sometimes say they accidentally discovered customer success and uh, really made it an industry-wide phenomenon. And, and so, you know, more kudos to them for that and to Maria. But uh, glad to see you had some good experiences there in Salesforce in addition to the others. Now, WalkMe, tell, tell, tell our audience a little bit more about WalkMe. What do they do? What are they about and, uh, and such? Yeah, WalkMe's been around for about 10 years now, um, recently IPO'd this year, so publicly traded company, a couple of hundred million dollars in revenue, accelerated growth, and mm -hmm. it's pioneering a new category called DAP, Digital Adoption Platform. Mm -hmm. And DAP is really critical because if you think about today's problem in the uh, with the um, overwhelmed employee in the workforce, if you think about how many apps you use to do your job, it's really exploded over the last five to 10 years. And so there's, you know, whether it's using Salesforce or Marketo or Concur or using Workday and you think of all the systems you, you have to use. And then these systems keep changing because the cool thing about SaaS is, oh, we can push out a new update with all new features. Yeah. The problem for the user is it just keeps changing all the time. And then you overlay new policies and processes inside your own company it's almost impossible now to be able to take people out of their job and teach them everything to be efficient and productive and use the, the best of their ability, every application they have. And so WalkMe was born out of the need to be able to stop people getting taken out of their job to train them and simply guide them through how to do the process properly in real time, in the flow of work. 
And mm. so that's kind of where Walk Me grew up and where most people know Walk Me and have touched Walk Me in the past is through this on in-app guidance. Mm. But the power of Walk Me and the reason why it's accelerating in growth and now it's public and obviously is the, the, the dominant player in the industry right now as far as DAP's concerned is the data and insights we now have deployed on thousands of applications of Salesforce and Workday. Like we, we can tell you proactively and say, these processes are taking too long compared to your peers, compared to the G2K, compared to the WalkMe customers. Anonymized data, of course, but it's telling you there's a problem here. And literally in WalkMe, you can go to the problem, click a button, make a change, like add a smart tip or a walkthrough, and then come back to the data. And the data will show you what was happening before you made the change and now what's happening. So you can mm -hmm. correlate my 30 seconds of effort translated to hundreds of hours of savings in productivity and completing a process. This is, this is the ability to influence and impact your adoption strategies as far as digital transformation in a way that we've never been able to do across every one of your cloud applications. That's the real power of WalkMe, uh, but it's also a pretty cool in-app guidance tool as well. <laughs> no, it certainly sounds like a very compelling value proposition. And certainly as someone who's been at the receiving end of uh, you know, dozens and dozens of applications that are required to do their job and their team's job. Uh, certainly, it sounds like something that would be very, very valuable and very useful. Now, how is um, WalkMe thinking differently about customer success or about customer experience? Um, well, I think the, the first indication that um, we need to do something differently is the creation of a chief customer officer. A lot of companies, including WalkMe, they'll start off with, okay, we have to have support. That's a given. We need services to help implement, help onboard partners. So that's a given. Mm -hmm. Now, this customer success role comes in and depending on the leader and depending on the maturity of the company, maybe it's very impactful. Maybe it's like, well, what, I don't even know what success does. Are they an escalation point? Are they the firefighters? Are they just the catch-all? Like, or in some cases, they're strategic advisors. They're driving expansion. They're driving advocacy. But you've got all these teams and at WalkMe, those teams all existed. The problem is they don't all report into one person. Mm. And when they don't report into one person, you tend to optimize for each function. So support is like, we're going to optimize on tickets and time, you know, how fast we can do ticket resolution. And, and they'll, they'll say, hey, we've got some great content. So we're going to put it up in a support area and, and that'll help customers know what's going on. And then services is over here doing the same thing. We're going to so, optimize. Support portal. Right, right. So now I've got a portal and then now I've got a community and now I've got my university and now I've got some, now we're doing office hours and now, and, and, and you can see the proliferation of this knowledge, but it's all in different places. It's not connected. The experience is really disjointed for the customer. So while we have all the functions, doesn't translate to a great experience. So bringing in a CCO means you can pull all of those functions together, align around a single journey have shared metrics of success that are based on the customer, not on our own business. And mm -hmm. that's how you think differently about servicing customers. You think from the customer viewpoint. And of course, now at the executive level, you have a voice of the customer. When it, decisions are being made that might sound good to walk me, might not be good for the customer. You've got an advocate for the customer saying, I know this sounds great for us, not so good for the customer. And you can have a great dialogue with the other leaders to, to help sort of align what might be best for both. And that's part of the role of the CCO. And that's what we're thinking differently at Walk Me Out and going forward. Yeah, certainly there seems to be um, an increased, um, you know, certainly a prevalence of CCOs that, that's starting to happen more and more. I think as companies are 
starting to realize exactly how disjointed, to use one of your words, how disjointed the experience can be. And what's interesting is sometimes the people who are pushing you hardest to take all these and bring them together is your customers. (laughs) Guys, all of you work for the same company. How come the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing? And uh, in, in a really bad situation, it can be embarrassing. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, I'm not going to I'm not going to comment on that other than yes I agree and maybe I've seen that <laughs> but absolutely right yeah um, no I think uh, I think it makes sense so you you mentioned metrics uh, so what are some of the metrics that you tend to focus on as a chief customer officer yeah uh, great question because um, you can ask a lot of chief customer officers they'll give you different answers and part of it is you know, where the pain point is in their company, where the customers are having trouble. So they'll orientate metrics towards optimizing, solving the challenges that that company faces. Mm -hmm. But for me, I think there's only two metrics I care about. There's only two metrics that matter to a CCO. Number one, NRR, net revenue retention or dollar-based net retention or India, like thousand acronyms here, but Mm -hmm. net revenue retention, right? which is made up of churn and expansion. Now you might say that's kind of, I get churn, I, I associate success with stopping churn because that's what yep. success was 15 years ago. Yep, yep. You know, Aliqua and Salesforce and other companies were putting CSMs in place, like stop people leaving at all costs, right? That's firefighting mm-hmm. mode. That's a very old school way of looking at success, but mm-hmm. I get why people think that, right? Expansion though, they're like, well, isn't that sales? They do expansion. And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. They might transact the expansion. They know mm-hmm. the commercials. They might manage that relationship, but you can't expand if you haven't onboarded a customer, if you haven't got adoption, if you haven't driven value, if you haven't got outcome. Like that mm-hmm. is owned by the CCO's team. And so without that, you can't get expansion. So I see my team owns expansion equally to sales. In fact, we're probably way more influential or should be. Right. Sales, sales should be focused on the harder job of, getting new logos into the business. That's really hard. And what we're doing is setting up the expansion that they can come in and close. That's ideally how we want to get. So dollar-based net retention or NRR, that's number one. Number two, the only other metric that matters is advocacy. Why? This is weird (laughs) because most people go, doesn't marketing own advocacy? And I'm like, no, 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 they don't own it. Marketing never should own advocacy. They should own the taking of it and amplifying and leveraging it and making it very visible. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think no one can do it better than them, but the teams that sit with the customers all day, every day owns the advocacy. They should be building advocacy maps for every one of their stakeholders and moving them through on do an online review, do a reference, do a referral, present at a conference, write a blog. We'll ghost write it for you. Like Mm -hmm. trying to get those advocates is the only true way. I believe that you're demonstrating value. If a yeah. customer will advocate for you, they're getting value. If they won't, they're not. They can give you NPS scores of 100 all day long. Yeah. Doesn't mean that you're adding value. Doesn't mean that they're going to be an advocate. So I, I think those two metrics for me are the only two that matter. Now, there are a thousand so, other metrics in my org, but they're the only two that I care about. So for advocacy, how do you measure it? Yeah, so like I said, there's, there's different types of advocacy. Mm-hmm. And um, I believe there's an advocacy maturity map. Um, and I built, I created one, just, I'm sure I'm not the first person, but I created an advocacy map, which takes people from identifying potential advocates. Then how do you nurture them through to becoming that first step of advocates? Would you like to do an online review? 
as an example, like really something simple. Hey, we just, yeah. we're doing a little promotion. We would like to tell the world, would you? Yes, great. You're an advocate. No, we got a problem. We got an issue. You don't believe enough yeah. in us to, to go on and say, this is a great product, a great yeah. company, yeah. great solution, right? Then I want to move them and mature them through to, will you do a case study? Will you do a reference call for us? Will mm -hmm. you do some, um, will you be a referral? Um, in your new accounts that that to me starts to become more mature and then finally you want to get them to I want to present at your conference I want to stand up in front of all your customers and say look what we're doing like when you get people wanting to do that when you get people wanting to write blogs do interviews that's when you know you have true advocacy and so for me you've got to move people through now certainly you yeah. can jump straight to the end but um, and I believe there's a map and I believe you should think about compensation metrics for your success team that focuses on building this map, building advocacy assets along the journey. Even when you implement, go live, bam, advocacy moment. Will you do a reference for how good it was to implement with us? You don't have any value yet. You have zero experience with the product, but you had a good experience. We led you through, we prescribed success. We launched on time. We did it under budget. Like that's an advocacy moment. And I think we miss some of that nuance about what advocacy really is. Yeah, no, I think that's that's great. So NRR and advocacy, so great metrics. Now, what, what do you say to people who say, look, um, you know, in the old Neanderthal days, we used to focus on metrics that benefited us as a company, such as revenue or margin or utilization. Thankfully, we've moved away from that towards more customer-centric metrics, such as NPS or CSAT. Now, a lot of companies look at NPS and CSAT and, and, and they hold that in high regard, but it looks yeah. like you've moved beyond that into NRR and advocacy. Yeah. So talk, talk about the importance of NPS and CSAT because that's still very central in the minds of most uh, customer success organizations. Yeah, I think, um, so the problem with CSAT, I'm not saying don't track it. I'm not saying don't mm -hmm. measure yeah, it. Yeah. I think support tickets or an implementation workshop, like totally good. But it's very transactional and it's very yeah. much, you know, rear view sort of view of the of yeah. where things are. Like to me, it's important to know, but not it's not it's not going to move the needle in any way as a company, but it's really good transactional info. Right. MPS, I'm like, this is the <laughs> it's like the triangle for high touch, mid-touch, low touch, and success. Like someone built it, oh, that's easy. Let's just grab that, and that's now how we do segmentation. And I'm like, that's not segmentation is way more complex than that and way more thoughtful and way more different types of CS. So NPS is one of those, oh, that's easy. Let's just use that. And people learn how to game it. it yeah. It's measuring intent, but not behavior. I can tell yeah. you when, when a certain bank, I won't tell you what they are, but they're kind of red and yellow in design. When yeah. they survey me, I give them a two. Can't stand them. Frustrating to use, annoying. I am definitely a detractor. Will I ever leave? No. Why? It's too hard. I've got all my bills paid. I got everything connected to it. It would take forever to move it and it would mess up my life. So I will never leave. But my MPS yeah. is a detractor. It doesn't make any sense to use as anything other than advocacy identification. If someone gives you a nine or 10, bam, fantastic. We're so excited. We're having a party here. You gave us a nine. Here's a link to G2 or Gartner Peer Insights or whatever. Would love to give us a review. That'd be great. Bam. So now I'm just funneling all my promoters into giving us advocacy and online reviews, yeah. right? Or they give us a really bad one, like zero. And I'm like, oh, well, someone probably should put a call in and just see what's going on there because things aren't going well, right? Yeah. yeah. But most importantly, if no one responds from a company for MPS, that's a red flag. Everyone mobilized. A company yeah. doesn't even care to click a button to tell us how we're doing. 
certainly is not an advocate. Definitely something worse is going on. So NPS for me is a good indicator of advocacy and where we might need to just dig a little deeper. It doesn't tell you anything about how good you are. Doesn't measure where you're good or not good. Doesn't tell you if the experience is good or not good. It's just that person at that moment in time, how they feel on the day. And they might not have any influence over your product anyway. Like, so those are the metrics that people have gravitated to in the past, but have shown to have almost zero correlation with the success of your company, the value you drive, the renewal rates you have. So we got to move past that and get more sophisticated. Excellent. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned intent versus behavior. And I think that's an important distinction yeah. uh, underlying the, 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 now, um, you're relatively new at WalkMe. 30, 60, 90 days, what do you expect to do? What are your plans uh, as you can settle in into the new role of the chief customer officer? All right, so little secret. Um, when, I, when I left Google, I gave three months notice. Mm -hmm. um, and as I was unwinding at Google and handing off assignments and, and making sure you know performance reviews are done, all those sort of things that I wanted to make sure was done right before I left, I started to explore the experience of WalkMe. Like, oh, I'm someone interested in WalkMe. So I started signing up for the, the webinars. I started signing up for, you know, tell me more info. I want to download a white paper. Now I'm trying to join the community. I want to learn something in the university or, or now called the Digital Adoption Institute. I wanted to go into the documentation stuff to see the quality. And it was not an optimized experience. Let's just say that, right? Because as I said, these teams are all in silos. So the yeah, experience yeah. for me, so I'm starting to pretend to be a customer navigating yeah. the company I'm going to. At the yeah. same time, I asked the company to kick off a third party to come in and interview all the customers that had churned in the last 12 months. And I can tell you that every company I go to, they'll have a reason for leaving. It's a drop-down box in Salesforce and someone clicks, mm -hmm. didn't get value or you know, lost sponsor. And I'm like, that's not the reason people leave. Like That's just, again, a lazy way to just say, hey, here's a pie chart and how many people leave because of this and this and this from people that probably don't even know, which is why the customer left, right? Because we're not engaged, we don't know. So yeah. the only real way is to bring a third party in, right? Because as a vendor, if you go and ask, they're going to lie to you because, yeah. hey, I don't want to talk to you. I'm already <laughs> leaving. You're trying to weasel your way back in. Like, why would I give you any time? I'm just going to throw something at you and it might be true or not. Who knows? But a yeah. third party company- It reminds me, uh, it reminds me a little bit about how some HR departments do exit interviews and they always come back and say, the number one reason people are leaving is- for a better opportunity or for more money. It's like, come on, folks. That's like not the real right. reason. <laughs> yeah, no, we got to get, we just got to get serious. If we're going to capture data, we got to yeah. take it seriously. And we just, we don't generally, I, I'm included. I remember I've, I've kicked off all these things. I ran NPS. I did all this stuff and thought it was until mm -hmm. you realize it's not. And anyway, the point is bring a third party in interview and we create what's called a churn journey map. So when I started at WalkMe, I was presented with the eight common things a customer who churns goes through during their entire life cycle with WalkMe that mm -hmm. cause them enough pain to want to leave or, or explore mm -hmm. other opportunities. And you can see all the teams involved, some of its sales, some of its success, some of its finance, some of its support. Like you can literally track it. So I know exactly what I have to go fix when I started to just improve the customer experience and the journey. It's not the whole solution. We solve it all. It doesn't fix yeah. every problem, but 
I can tell you that if I solve these problems, I'm going to improve the attrition. I'm going to reduce yeah. churn. I'm going to create a better experience, potentially accelerate expansion just from doing this, right? So I haven't even started yet. All this work's going, going on. When I join, I have a 30, 60, 90 day plan. The way it usually works is 30 days is listening. I talk to as many people as I can. I had 150 one-on-ones with people. I spoke mm -hmm. to groups or pods of people as well to get feedback. And I spoke to customers and prospects mm -hmm. as well as some churn customers. I'm just trying to consume as much content as I can. Yep. The next 60 days is all about now engaging. It's starting to test things like the customer said this, you said this, they, they said that. One of the cool things is I, I kept a list of the top 16 requests that I get. Can you mm -hmm. fix segmentation? Can you fix the comp plans? Can you fix you know all these various things, right? And I said, oh, I remember the expression on someone's face when they asked me, I'm like, well, I don't know how to fix that. Why would I know how to fix that? Like, I just got here. I literally just got here 30 days ago. I don't know how to fix it. You know who knows how to fix it? Everyone who's telling me there's a problem. You know how to fix it. You're the CSM who's trying to get value for your customer and you can't because there's a process or a system or a missing piece of data or an asset that hasn't been built. You know the solution. So I have right now, I have 133 people across 16 work streams with multiple teams coming up with the solutions that they're going to present to me in three weeks time, right? That's mm -hmm. the engagement piece. That's that middle piece, which is I've heard all these problems. Now I'm going to engage the people that know the answers to actually come up and tell me the answers. And I bet there's brilliance in there. I bet there's innovation and mm -hmm. people get to put their fingerprints on the org. I'm the leader. Doesn't mean I know yeah. all the answers. My job's to allow you to do the best jobs you can do, right? So that's what we're doing. That's the 60 days. And then when you get so, to the 90 days. So it sounds to me like, so, so just a moment. So on the 60 days, then sounds like what you have is these almost tiger teams. They are broad based and yep. they consist of the actual practitioners who are experiencing the pain. So they are the ones who are most well equipped to actually recommend the fixes. And when they do recommend the fixes, they get to implement them and there's automatic buy-in because they were co-opted in the process all along. Is that a fair characterization of what you're calling the 60-day engagement? Absolutely. Okay. I think that's very fair. It's the, it's the people that are impacted the most by decisions of strategy and implementation right. and operationalization that how, get how to do you, How do you avoid people... Uh, you know, rolling their eyes and saying, oh God, another new guy, probably oh. got 50 ideas, tiger teams, I'm tired of this, et cetera. How, how do you avoid that? Either cynicism at the least or passive aggressive behavior sometimes that can be there, especially in larger organizations. Yeah, I think that's, that's consistent in every company I've ever joined and it's not unusual mm -hmm. to see that. I think the first thing is coming into any company, typically there's change fatigue. Like yeah. I'm coming in because something wasn't working, right? So yeah. someone's come in, they've tried stuff, it hasn't worked. And that could have happened time after time after time. Mm -hmm. I remember one company that I mentioned earlier, I was the fifth leader in three years. And everyone who comes in has their own strategy and plan, yeah. right? Yeah. The first thing I do is I say, hey, we're on a three-year journey. So any changes I'm making now is not a, maybe we try this, yeah. maybe we try, because that's what you've had for the last 18 years, right? People yeah. coming in and coming up with crazy ideas who yeah. don't even know because they're new, but they've got experience and they're bringing what they think will work, but it doesn't always translate. So in this case, change fatigue, right? So I'm saying, hey, we're on a three-year journey and actually the changes we're going to implement are the ones you tell me. 
not me tell you, not me with my crazy ideas from yeah, working yeah, Google yeah. or Salesforce or whatever. You're going to tell me. That's how we're going to start because you know the pain, you know the challenges the yeah. best. And so if I can help you remove those roadblocks. Now, we might not implement it the exact way you say because there's technical, legal, whatever reasons. But in spirit, we're going to go make these changes yeah. and you're going to get an opportunity to lead them for those people that want to and others are the beneficiaries. So I think creating a three-year plan saying, I'm going to take us to this great place in three years. I want you to come with me. But in order to get started, I can't start until you take the first step and help me sure. on yeah. that journey. We're going to yeah. do it together. And I think people respond well to that because they're being listened to. They get a chance to put their fingerprints on it. They get an opportunity to actually lead and, and show that they can go drive chain and that might be part of their career. I always say that people are in three modes. You're in mountain climbing mode, explorer mode, or deep, deep diver mode, right? You want to be me. You want to climb the mountain. You want to be the head of the group, or you're at explorer. You want to try different departments. Maybe you do technical account management. Now I'm going to do support. Now I'll do some consulting because you're just learning and you're trying to understand all the roles and find your yeah. passion. Or you're a deep diver, which is I want to be a principal CSM and coach every new CSM and I'm going to build best yeah. practices and that's all I'm going to yeah. do, right? And so yeah. I'm trying to accommodate these three styles of where people are in their careers. And this is a method that you can use to actually allow people to start to explore what they need, which yeah. in the past they might not have had a chance to. Um, so that's what the 60 days is. It's really engaging people and making them part of the process because they are actually the smartest people to solve this, not someone like me coming in new. Yeah. I might be more helpful a year from now, but not right now. And then finally, alignment, which is what are the priorities? So I've already stated dollar-based net retention and NRR and advocacy. That's what we're going to... So all our priorities, all the changes we make have to feed into one of those three things. Mm -hmm. And so that's how you start to create the alignment between mm -hmm. what is important at my level and metrics with what the people who are actually executing care about and need to happen to make success happen. And that's how mm -hmm. I joined the dots. And so that's what the 90 days is, which we're about to move into that phase in December. Um, that's what we'll go accommodate. And guess what? Then it's 2022. So it's perfect timing to say, okay, we've got our priorities. We know what we're going to get to do. We've got the metrics yeah. of success. We've got owners and leaders and people accountable. Go. 2022 is all about the build year. So I'm yeah. looking forward to that. And, and, and then you're in execution mode beyond that and, uh, and then let the results speak for themselves. So, yep. awesome. And I'm still That's thinking about the three-year plan. Don't, don't forget, like yeah. I'm still thinking about what that looks like right now. Yeah. And then I've yeah. got to translate how to get there based on what 2022 sets a foundation and then 2023 and 2024, obviously. Is yeah, yeah. No, I think that's terrific. That's actually very helpful for anyone who's doing a 30, 60, 90 day. That perspective that you're bringing, I think, is very valuable. Of, um, shall I say, self-awareness, both about yourself and about your organization and incorporating that because sometimes those softer elements <laughs> uh, dare I say, have a bigger impact than some of the hard metrics. Uh, you're exactly right. Look, um, I wasn't always like this. Unfortunately, this usually comes with age and experience. I wish I just knew this in my mid-20s when I first became a manager. I've made the classic mistakes. I've made the, I own the department. It's my decision. I come up with the strategy, yeah. do it alone. Then I migrated to, oh, well, I'm not strong here and here. So I'm going to hire people to plug those gaps. Then I went into the, actually, I need really smart people around me and not worry about they're all going to take my job. Like I've, I've gone through that evolution where, and then realizing I don't have to have all the answers. I need to yeah. advocate for my people. I need to advocate for my customer. I need to advocate for my company. That's my yeah. job. And, and, and to leverage the skills around me to make that possible. 
And once I've gone through that maturation, which took 20 years to go through, I feel like I'm a more effective leader because of it. I still have gaps. I still have, you know, areas to work on, mm-hmm. but I feel like I'm, I'm a much more effective leader because I've gone through some of those experiences yeah. earlier. I don't know if you have the same, but I made some pretty bad decisions <laughs> and choices as leaders and I'm, I'm willing to learn from that. And I think that's all you can ask from people. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm, uh, we all have more than our fair share of mistakes that we've all uh, that we've all made. <laughs> so long as we're learning from them, it's okay. Um, now, um, Wayne, one of the things that you've previously stated is that the position of the chief customer officer is on the rise. And with companies like HubSpot and other SaaS companies, sometimes the CCO actually even ends up graduating and becoming the CEO of the company. So why is the CCO position becoming so powerful? And uh, how does the CCO position differ from the VP of say customer experience or customer success? Um, yeah, look, I, look, this is, it's no secret CCOs, you know, maybe five years ago, there were hundreds of them in the world. Now there's thousands of them, right? Companies, yeah. <laughs> companies are really understanding that bringing together all of the post first sale, you know, organizations together is super critical, especially in the SaaS and subscription world. Um, and yes, seeing Yamini over at HubSpot get promoted to CEO from CCO is not a surprise. I mean, she's a brilliant CCO, one of the best. Uh, she'll be a brilliant CEO. And here's the reason why CCOs are becoming CEOs more often. That's not the only example. There are others. But the reason why is think of what other executive other than the CEO sits across all of your customers and all of the interactions they have. Not a lot, right? But then they also partner with sales to talk about ideal customer profile, ICP, like make sure we're identifying the right customers coming in so that they don't cause a lot of noise and then churn and that just delays everything else and creates you know, other bad metrics. And, but then they're also talking to the product team about features and functionality and solving problems. So they're dealing with contracts and, and doing renewals and potentially premium service offerings and support offerings mm-hmm. and stuff. Then they're dealing with legal, they're dealing with finance. Mm-hmm. There's no other role that actually spends all day, every day talking to every part of the company all the time. Yeah. That's the job, which is what the CEO is across yeah. all parts of the company. So sales or marketing or services or, you know, insert legal, whatever, they don't spend all day doing that. So yeah. the one person that is totally clued into the product, how it's used, how customers feel, new customers coming in, how to position earlier on in the sales cycle marketing, mm-hmm. all of these pieces, the product roadmap, right. this is the one role that does it. So it's no surprise that they become CEOs eventually because... Yeah, it's very, um, it's very comprehensive and it's also very outside in as opposed to inside out, right? It's, yeah. it's focused on customers, which is the leading North Star or should be for everything. Right? Yeah. So, so, that, so, so it makes a, makes a ton of sense. I want to ask you something a little bit more tactical, which is that Sometimes what you see is while all the things get consolidated in the CCO, in some organizations, they take the renewal function, pull it out and put it under the chief revenue officer with the thinking that renewals is a transactional activity that happens at the end. The renewal rep is someone who needs to have a salesy DNA, whereas most of the customer uh, success organization, customer support. So all of those other organizations are very much focused on making the customer successful and are not engaged in a commercial pursuit. 
rep is still trying to get that renewal PO and so on. So sometimes they separate them and, and you hear arguments on both sides of this, right? There's some people who are absolutely believers in this and there are others who think it should all be together. So I'm just wondering <laughs> what, what your thoughts are on this, right? And, and what the pros and cons of the two approaches might be. Yeah, so just so you know that all the comments I have are gonna be biased one way. I'm gonna tell you what that <laughs> is. And you take the rest with a grain of salt. Um, absolutely renewal should be a part of the CCO because it's part of the customer journey. It is a <laughs> milestone as with many that a customer goes through with you as a company and will forever in a day. So okay. I absolutely believe renewals is absolutely a part of the success function as part of the CCO world because it is just a natural part of the journey you're on. Yeah. The challenge here is we have to start, and some companies do this, by the way, there are companies where the CCO owns pre-sales and you're like, well, that's weird. No. Why is that? And I'm like, well, because a hundred percent of your renewable revenue sits under the CCOs responsibility and right. then usually 40 50 60 70 percent of your expansion revenue sits yeah. underneath the cco so they should have the team that helps to do the proof of concepts to expand right so companies are starting to work it out but the in a SaaS subscription model the intake of new logos which is the hardest thing to do in a company i just want to be clear i believe that is really hard to do out of everything yeah. we do in a company getting new logos on board is the hardest right yeah. but it's actually a very small component in the larger you get as a company, it becomes such a smaller and smaller component yeah. of the revenue you generate as a company. It's all going to come from your customer base. That's every yeah. company. Every big company has that, right? So why would you put the renewals team away from where the bulk of the revenue and work and businesses and the people that actually make it possible all yeah. sit in the CCO org? Sales does the transactions for expansion. Renewals does transactions. Fine. But but the renewals team should be part of the success team because it is part of the journey of a customer. Sales mm -hmm. should be really focused on bringing in the new logos. And then when the success team brings in sales into an existing customer, helps close and do the commercials and transact. CS doesn't need to own it because you have a function that already knows how to do it. So yeah. that's that's part of that collaboration. So I mean, in, a, in a sense, I think what you might be saying is that yeah, and the customers, the CCO team and the success team, and you know, they kind of carry the ball all the way through in terms of driving the adoption, driving the consumption, the whole digital journey, realizing the actual outcomes, et cetera. And they get primed for the renewal to occur and the transacting of that renewal could be done by a renewal team or a sales team or whatever. But everything that leads up to that is, the, is squarely the CCO uh, domain. Is, is that That's a fair question? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you think about escalations, bugs, product fixes, going live, sentiment. Yeah. Who, who solves all that? The CCO, right? Renewals yeah. doesn't, sales doesn't. They should be off trying to attract new logos into the business or, or close on the um, expansion opportunities we've found. Mm -hmm. I, I do think renewals, there are some elements and it's different in every company. So I want to be careful here not to just say every this is a black and white thing. Yeah. There are some renewals where there is actually selling involved. Yeah. Um, and, and there is challenges, but also think of it this way. If you want to do an upsell, um, if you want to add on an additional service, mm -hmm. that could be your renewals team. Think of price increases. You got to sell that. Hey, I want to give yeah. you, I want to charge you 5% more. Oh, okay. Like customers don't willingly want to do that sometimes. So there's a selling motion in there, yeah. but it's no different to a CSM saying, hey, uh, you've got success here in this department. I see the same challenge here. Can you introduce me here? I'd love to learn more about what they're doing yeah. and maybe 
the yeah. investment you've already made and, should be used over there. How is and that your not belief is, and, and your belief is that the CCO organization, whether it's success or whatever, can remain, you know, quote unquote, untainted and still do that because they're doing that in pursuit of the customer's mm -hmm. outcomes as opposed to trying to sell them stuff necessarily. Yeah, I think there's two things that get confused here. So I'm not advocating CSN's carry quota. I'm not advocating yeah. that they have to go sell, right? We have a sales team to do that. I'm totally yeah. comfortable with that. And, but people also then think I'm, what I'm talking about is the CSN needs to be a trusted advisor, you know, which is the most overused term in software yeah. um, because everyone should be trusted. Why is my legal team not trusted? But my CSN <laughs> going to be a trusted advisor. I'm like, we're all trusted advisors, right? Exactly. The difference is your CSM is strategic in nature and looking out for the customer. And I, I always quote the Miracle on 40, um, 34th Street uh, movie that you know when the lady comes in and talks to santa and says where's this toy and he's like actually you got to go to the the competitor's store that's where it is it's the cheapest price there they'll help you out and she's like as she's leaving she says to the store manager i'm a customer for life because yeah. <laughs> or csm is actually helping the customer solve their problem the best way forward yeah. Yeah. and sometimes that that looks like it's not at the, the the benefit to your company right we're not trying to sell them something we shouldn't the reason we do that is to build loyalty and trust so that we can advise and can have taught positions about expanding the opportunity, buying more licenses, going bigger mm -hmm. on the implementation without the fear of the customer thinking I'm getting paid extra. So I get that. But yes, um, I use a term called uptelling, which I learned from a, a lady called Zinnia on one of the um, companies I was advising. And she's like, it's kind of like uptelling. And I'm like, yeah, we don't upsell, we uptell. We tell <laughs> how a customer can get more value. And then the sales team comes in and upsells, but we uptell the value. We create the opportunity. Oh, we tell sales, here's the person, here's the budget, here's the influencer, here's the problem. It's all mapped out. Now just go close. Now yeah, it's not that yeah. easy. I get it, but that, that's what they're good at doing. And they have more information than they would ever have in a new logo. So they can go execute quickly, get out and yeah. go back and get more logos. That's how it should work in my opinion. <laughs> I like that upselling. That's great, great term. Um, Wayne, how are CCOs using data science increasingly in sort of the performance of their, uh, of their function? I was lucky because as you mentioned earlier, Salesforce, one of the first companies to really embrace customer success. So they were the one of the first companies that tried to work out how to use data mm -hmm. to understand what action needs to happen. And I can tell you when I was there, and this is like a decade ago nearly, but when I was there, their early warning system was a marvel to look at, right? 127 different inputs coming in all the time, every account telling you with 95% confidence, nine months out, a customer was going to churn. And then what it would do is say, because of the problem we've detected, here's the playbook to solve the problem, sends it to the CSM, the account team, and literally tells you how to go fix the problem. That is sophisticated use of data. And it's mm -hmm. only evolved since then, right? Now, that's pretty cool. That took seven years to build. So Mehmet, the chief data scientist who helped lead all of this, I spoke to him about it. He's like, it's a, a magical journey of things I'd never understand because it all went over my head because a bunch of data scientists. But it, it was incredible what they'd built. And what happens is people tend to think that's what you need to do. But I also spoke to um, a CS leader at an identity management company. And they said... They use data science to work out what are the most sticky features. And they found if these three features are all deployed, 99% retention. So I don't need 127 imports and a crazy playbook and automate all yeah. that sophisticated stuff. I just need to have three features enabled 
and we're done. And so yeah. every, the pre-sales, the sales, the services, the support, the CS, everyone is like, oh, let's get you on these three phones. Like that became the focus, bam. There are, so data for them was much simpler because they understood what really made a company want to stay with you, want to make it mission critical, want to have it embedded, right? The point I'm making is there's no one size fits all here. What you have to do as a success leader, as a CCO, is start to work with the data team to try to understand what is it, what is the pattern, what are the things that are happening between successful customers and unsuccessful customers, and start to understand the correlations and causations. I'll give you another example. A customer, oh, they've logged no support tickets. Is that bad or good? I don't know. It's bad if they're fairly new and went live and they're not logging support tickets. Maybe they're not using it. That's bad. But if they've been with us for five years, have a center of excellence, fully certified, do first level support themselves. Well, of course, that's normal. So yeah. the data on itself doesn't, but the combination with other things, and that's what takes time. That's why it took seven years, right? Because yeah. you have to start to understand all the intricacies, social posts online, sentiment, industry, regulation, product adoption. There's thousands of inputs. You've got yeah. to work out with, not you personally, the data team will help you do it, but mm -hmm. I'm really understanding. But I will, I just want to say four things. Number one, one ring to rule them all. If Lord of the Rings taught me anything, don't rely on one score. So, so many companies have a health score or an adoption score. I'm like, don't do that because it's going to lull you into false sense of security. And we know how that worked out in Lord of the Rings. Not good for anyone. Yeah. <laughs> um, understand what really matters. So do you need 127 inputs or do you just have to identify three? Work out what, how complex your product is and work with the data team. Um, number three, knowing what happens when... Um, knowing what happens... When you deploy a playbook, understanding the impact to feed it back into the machine. So it's one thing knowing data tells you to do something. It's really important to know what the result was. And people sometimes forget. They just think, oh, we solved it. Deploy a playbook. We're good. And then finally, um, ideal customer profile, ICP. Work really hard at that. Understand when a customer comes in, how much of an effort it's going to be to make them successful, what the likelihood of churn is, and then determine your capacity and segmentation model around it because that are going to save you a world of hurt later on. Excellent, excellent. Great, great advice and great factors there. Um, Wayne, uh, in your opinion, can you give me some examples of SaaS companies that have done a particularly good job of customer success? <laughs> uh, I feel like a politician. Well, there's a number of companies that do it really well. I'm not going to go into all of them. We don't have time today. What, what I do want to say is, there are a lot of companies that do this pretty good. A lot of them are very small. A lot of the big companies who are trying to pivot still haven't worked it out. And, and it's hard for them. I'm not saying that they're not smart and they can't work it out. I'm just saying there's so much baggage and there's so much opinion and there's so many levels, but smaller companies tend to do better. And here are three things that the, every good customer success sort of organization that I've witnessed, these are three things I noticed that is common. Number one, They've done a customer journey map from the customer's viewpoint, not ours as a vendor, from the customer. And they've identified the moments of truth. The mm -hmm. areas where a customer interacts with us in some way, shape or form, digital, physical, online, on the web, you know, with a person on the phone, like they've identified it and they've worked out who owns that moment because now you have accountability, right? Mm -hmm. Secondly, uh, uptelling. I mentioned it earlier. They understand the CSM's job is not to make sure the customer's happy. That's not what a CSM should do. I mean, that's the last thing a customer, like they need to have difficult conversations. They might be very unhappy customer to hear that, right? Mm -hmm. They need to make sure a customer gets value, but their job is to work out how to get more value, not get value. That's stable stakes. 
Most yeah. people stop there. Good companies say, but then what's the next step? How can we add more value? A new department, a new organization, new use case, new product that we have. Like help the company understand how you can solve a problem of theirs and be very specific. Hey, I've noticed you're trying to do this. You've got a process problem. We can go fix that. Let me run a proof of concept to show you what sort of results we could do. I'd, I would love to lead that for you. Bam, that's a CSN's job, uptell value. Yeah, yeah. And then finally, customer success teams that understand advocacy is owned by them, not marketing. If you understand it's owned by success, you get way more assets, way more proactiveness. You build longer term relationships across a number of assets. Marketing can only do so much, so much sitting off to the side asking for stuff. Mm -hmm. But the reality is the CS organization and, and that includes PS support and everyone um, training. It's they don't companies that know those three things typically perform really well as customer yeah. service functions. Yeah. Um, one of the things that uh, we've done at Nutanix, and uh, as you know, I run all the customer side over at Nutanix, is we've actually taken a group of people from our engineering department, some of the senior most architects. And we moved them into the customer success function uh, with the intent of making sure that they take our disparate product, combine them into solutions, customer in, customer defined solutions, and make sure that they work. How important is it to do something like that, which is to kind of do the last 5% of the engineering work in a customer centric way within the customer centric function. When we tried it it, was, it was, it was pretty unique and I don't know if any other companies have done it, but I'm just asking that question about, uh, you know, uh, fixing roadmaps or making solutions work uh, and leveraging customer success as a means to do that. Yeah, well, first of all, like, no, I don't know many companies doing anything like that. Um, I know one success organization that owns product, the product management yeah. sits inside the customer success function. But this is a one step further. Look, I think that's brilliant. I think that would be extremely difficult to do in most companies yeah. because they're very protective of the roadmap and we're going to build to, for the analysts and we know how to go do this. And so I, I, I do think there's, that would be difficult to do. But the fact you're able to do that means, you know, Nutanix has a customer centricity about it that's more mm -hmm. than just words. Every company says they're customer centric, <laughs> but the reality is the action prove that. And, and that shows yeah. me that there's willingness um, and openness to actually bring the customer into part of that challenge. And so uh, I think it's a brilliant idea. I, I would, I, I will try and do that at walk me. Like I do think that, that that sort of thing is difficult to do, but if you can do it, it just pays back in spades. Yeah. Um, and I will tell you that, you know, working with the, the product and engineering orgs, they have a really tough job because th that's one group yeah. where everyone tells them how to do their job better, right? They that, that, yeah. that would annoy me no end, right? And so one of the things we have is product operations. That's a concept that's fairly new still in software, but product ops sits in the success function. Our job is to bring all together the recommendations of the customers yeah. all into one, prioritize it with the use cases. Then we present that back to the engineering and product teams in persona user stories. Yeah. So we don't say, hey, build this feature, build that function, build it. We don't say that because that's yeah. telling them how to do their job. That's not yeah. for us to do, right? But if we say, an administrator of this product is trying to do this because of that, how would you solve it? Yeah. That's a much more fun you know, thing to go do because you for get sure, to come sure. up with the solution and it's creative yeah. and we get to do that anyway. But um, you've taken last, a one step. Uh, last two questions for you, um, Wayne. One is, why is the concept of pre-sales and post-sales outdated <laughs> in a SaaS company? 
Yeah, everyone calls my organization the post-sales organization. And I'm like, then you don't understand SaaS at all. Like, because that's not how it works. It's um, we're a land and expand model. You attract a new logo, you bring them on, you get them onboarded, you get them adopting, you retain them. Eventually you'll expand them. That expansion is a sales motion. My org is creating the opportunity to expand. Not only do we get them to getting value, we also do uptelling and we show them where to get more value. So to me, it's a, this perpetual, it's an infinity sign. It's, it's just ever ongoing, always expanding opportunities, always expanding. So to me, I'm just as much a part of sales as the sales org um, because we're helping to grow additional sales. So I don't see the notion of post sales. That's why I call it the post first sales org. Um, yeah. <laughs> some people say the customer org, but I'm like sales faces the customer too. And so does other yeah. groups. So anyway, um, yes, we could talk about that one all day, but uh, I don't Last think- Last question uh, for you. What do you think the CCO position is going to look like say five years from now? Uh, I think, I think yeah, as I mentioned, um, the CCO position, in, depending on the function, the product, the complexity, um, digital native versus traditional companies, I feel yeah. like it'll evolve to, like I said, some companies are starting to move the pre-sales team under because more work's done in the existing base, more revenues there. So the pre-sales notion, and again, don't call it pre-sales. It's, it's <laughs> sales engineering is a better term because it's all about helping to sell the next sort of value yeah. proof of concept or whatever. Um, and I do think that uh, we're seeing more things come off like marketing, like the advocacy community, things that typically see with marketing will move more into the CCO org. As the marketing team starts to focus more on the engagement and the amplification, um, so take away the operational sort of components that will slow marketing down and free them up to go do that stuff. So I think you'll continue to see those evolutions. And I'm hoping sort of more of that product style where product mm-hmm. starts to seed people in the, in the org like you've already done. That, that's the sort of thing we'll see to start mm-hmm. to integrate closer across all the other teams so that the customers get the best of the company at all times. Great, great. Wayne, thank you. Thank you so much. It's been such a delight talking to you, such an engaging, fun conversation about topics that are front and center to many of us who are practitioners out in the field. Uh, so thanks for sharing your insights with us and with uh, other uh, folks, our customers and, and, and so on. Uh, just for reference, for those who don't know, Wayne is the Chief Customer Officer over at WalkMe. I'm Inder Sidhu. I'm responsible for the customer experience function here at Nutanix. And this has been a Cloud Council conversation. Thanks, Wayne. Appreciate everything that you do and for your time. Yeah, Take no, care. thank you so Bye-bye. much. I had a blast. Um, talk to you soon. Cheers. Take care. Bye-bye.